Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. I got nothing this week. You got nothing? <laughs> I got nothing. Well, you know, this is the time when we all wait with bated breath to find out who our next president will be. Now we start? Well, that's the way the news people make it sound is like tomorrow we're going to know. Well, tomorrow something will actually happen as opposed to people just babbling. Of course, th- there, something will happen and then there will be people just babbling. <laughs> but, you know, hey. I think that we're going to just increase the babble factor. If you're in Iowa, we encourage you to caucus for somebody. Yeah. But that, that's, make your voice be heard. That That is all of the political anywhere we will go. We encourage you to go out and caucus for somebody. Excellent. All right. Um, other than that, in other non-related news, we're enjoying lovely spring-like temperatures in the greater Northeast Ohio area. Yeah, you know, if it keeps up the way it's going today, we may actually open the windows on the last day of January. I think that's crazy. Yeah, it it's is. awesomely crazy. Um, we had a big, long conversation with some friends of mine yesterday about whether or not it was spring yet. February, my history, our short little history in Ohio has always said that February is the worst month for weather. So I'm not counting on spring until we hit February and get through it. I don't know if you have heard, but currently the snow deficit in northern Ohio is at 27 inches. It is. Now keep in mind, that is the snow deficit for 2016. So that doesn't take into account the December and November lack of snow also. So that's just in the last month alone, we are 27 inches behind. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's so incredibly awesome. Now, you know, that sounds like a lot of snow, but when you think about how we tend to get snow here in northern Ohio, where it might be an inch here, an inch there, three inches one day, then down to two inches— it's not really overwhelming as opposed to our friends on the East Coast who are still looking at massive piles of snow. Oh, yeah. we. D- I mean, I don't think that we've been hit with, you know, two, three feet of snow in one storm um, more than once or twice. Yeah, I think the most we've that here? we've gotten is about 18 to 20 inches. Yeah. And that was one time. Um. So, you know, all of those news reports I remember growing up of seeing what happens to Buffalo and five feet of snow, that doesn't seem to happen. Yeah. I think the, the any kind of regularity the motion might get is six to eight inches. Right. Enough to be annoying. So while we're talking about snow. Yes. Because apparently this is the publicity stunt that just will not go away. Lamb Chop is singing Which, about it? Uh, I don't know about that, but, (laughs) you know, if you're the public relations guy over or the media guy over at Red Bull, this is either awesome that this will not go away or this is really bad that this will not go away. I'm not sure which. So you're talking about, um, oh, Max Verstappen driving on the ski slopes in a Red Bull car. Red Bull released a statement this week saying that they are convinced that they acted correctly and, and and got all of the appropriate permissions prior to sending Max out in the RB7 to go drive on the ski slopes of Kitzbühel. 
So basically, they made a deal in a bar with some guy in Kitzbühel, and that was a sufficient amount of pre-planning and permission getting. Well, what's going on is, and, and what's really odd is that this is coming now from the director of Kitzbühel, Michael Berger, who claims that to drive any car outside of traffic or fenced areas due to potential damage to nature first requires permission that was not sought. Was not sought. Hmm. Red Bull says that they did this, but they're facing a fine of, of 30,000 euros. Now, from Red Bull's official stance is that from our standpoint, we acted correctly. We do not wish to comment any further on the ongoing proceedings, which knowing Red Bull means there will be another statement next week. <laughs> we will comment further later. Yeah. Okay, but quite frankly, can we just be honest for a second? 30,000 euros? It's nothing. It's jump change. For, for Red Bull, that's nothing. That is the equivalent of me getting a dollar fine. Well, you know, compare that to a Super Bowl ad. I know. 30,000 euros is nothing. Yeah. Chump change. I think uh, Christian Horner has that in his pocket lint. You know, he might. Jerry Hollowell uses that to go f- buy a pair of shoes. Probably. <laughs> I wonder if his parents are still angry with him over that. I have no idea. Why don't you ask him? I will. Next time we're chatting, we'll, okay, we'll yeah. we'll find out. I'll no, follow on, up on Facebook. You'll, you'll just reach out to him. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Red Red Bull. Actually, you know, I think this next story it sums up perfectly why they were in so much trouble next year, or, or excuse me, last year <laughs> over the engines. You're already predicting they're going to be um, in trouble next well, year <laughs> with this kind of attitude. They may be. So what is their toot? Well, Helmut Marco has come out and said that Renault really should be focusing their efforts on helping Red Bull rather than its own works team in 2016. Helmut Marco has come out and said that basically Renault's works team, with its currently announced drivers, and, and we'll get subject there. to change at the, at the moment, but with its currently announced drivers of Pastor Maldonado and Julian Parma is already a waste of time and energy and effort, and it would make much better sense for them to ignore their works team and instead throw their efforts behind Red Bull. (laughs) There are a few times in my life that I have no words. I have no words to explain or even remotely justify Helmet's thoughts here. This is the equivalent of the four-year-old going, me, 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 not you. Me, 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 me. I mean, his exact statement is exactly that. I mean, the words that he said to the Salzburg Nackrichter newspaper is that if Renault were clever, they would put everything on us because with this team, Lotus, and these drivers, they won't manage anything at all. This is how you want to partner with somebody. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a few extra bucks. So why don't we go buy Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and send it to Helmet? Because I'm pretty sure that that 
is outlined as a not, a don't. Yeah. That is not the way you you buddy up to somebody. Gain favor. Get them to actually work for you. Maybe that's the way it works in Germany. I mean, is that is this the German that we're not understanding here? I, I, I can't figure out the logic behind it. I, I don't understand. I'm going to tick you off and then ask you to do more for me. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. On its... At the very core, it is. You you have you have relegated yourself to the position of, and and maybe that's what it is: is they no longer understand what it's like to be a customer. Oh. You have voluntarily regulated yourself to the position of customer because you claimed that Renault was not good enough for you and could not meet your requirements. So why now as a customer, when you have forced Renault into a position where to them it makes better sense to have their own works team, would you then say, yeah, ignore your works team and treat us as the works team, even though we're not your works team anymore because we treat you like crap? I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head red bull is under the mistaken impression that they are a works team and are acting like a works team and not a customer because they have never been a customer we we should let me back up a little here we shouldn't necessarily say that red bull is helmet helmet marco is just to be clear what a great first name for a guy in formula one though (laughs) I mean, let's just be serious for a minute. Hey, has anybody seen Helmet's Helmet? I know! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Where's Helmet Marco's Helmet? (laughs) Are there marks on Helmet Marco's Helmet? I don't know. As long as they're not skid marks. Hey, you okay. went, you went the done. wrong way there. We're done. You now. went the wrong way with that. No, you did. No, there there are a thousand other kinds of marks than skid marks. Now moving right along. <laughs> well, you know, we talked last week about the possibility, or was it two weeks ago? The possibility of a supposedly confirmed seat coming open at Renault. Yes. Well, the rumors are increasing, but it definitely does sound like, as our friends over at Sniff Petrol would say, Pastor Maldonado is considering things to crash into outside of F1. I know. (laughs) I mean, what are his opportunities? If the talks continue to break down between PD Besa and Renault, which apparently they are quite broken. That is the word that we are hearing, is that talks have broken down, and their driver announcement is scheduled for, I believe... This, oh, not this Monday, Wednesday. This Wednesday in Paris. So let's hypothetical for a minute. What other things could Pastor Maldonado crash into if he's not crashing into things on the F1 circuit? Well, as Sniff Petrol would say, um, the bewilder-faced talent vacuum (laughs) (laughs) okay knows that his time in f1 could end the very second his debit card is declined 
He would never take it for granted that he would be on the same grid as Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen, or any of the other world champions he has almost crashed into. And that's why he's already looking around for other race series whose drivers he could take off in lap nine. Now, again, as the f folks over at Sniff Petrol would describe Pastor, the competent stranger may look to the <laughs> flourishing WEC series where he could achieve a lifelong dream of crashing into Mark Webber. Or he could take a year off and spend some time back in his homeland where he could crash with his family. Probably a little couch surfing, <laughs> too, I'm quite sure. I was thinking that maybe, you know, in his off time, he was working in the bumper car circuit. Okay, that, that's a possibility, too. You know, maybe a traveling carnival with bumper cars and um, perhaps maybe run the antique car ride at your local uh, Six Flags establishment. Is there a Venezuelan Six Flags? I don't think so, but there may be, you know. The, the thing is, the we still know that there are seats open at, of all places, Manor. And the truth is... If things have not changed with his money, because we don't know what the exact dispute is, Pastor brings about $46 million with him, based on what we know of last year's deal. Yes, I understand that. Is that is huge money to a team like Manor. But he costs $52 million. The At the talent vacuum? In the talent is? vacuum. <laughs> that he, he may bring that he provides. He may bring 46, but he costs 52. That is not good budgeting. Here's the thing. You know, all joking and kidding aside, I have a feeling that, yes, there are unconfirmed seats that theoretically could look at, at Pastor. There's only two. Could look at Pastor as a possibility. However, I do not believe they would entertain that option given the talent pool that they have to pull from outside of Formula One or even past drivers that are still looking for seats. It depends on the cash that they bring. Because truly, Manor is not going to pay a driver. They're looking for a paying driver who's going to bring them a, a good deal. Now, we already know, I believe, something in the area, I want to say it was $10 million for an Indonesian driver who apparently has some F1 experience at the back of the grid. Mm -hmm. But... But I get that they're looking for a paying driver. I get that. But you have to run the balance statement on Crashy. I mean, I'm sorry. You have to do the numbers. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Jordan did that, what was it, two years ago? He did that fantastic thing about, you know, the front end nose costs. Yeah, it was know. two or three years. It was uh, two or three years ago. It, it was on the, the individual components that could need to be replaced after an incident. He wasn't specifically targeting Pastor. No, he wasn't. Um, it was and, a more universal and, story. And they actually aired it around the time when Pastor was not crashing into things. Um, so, and, and they didn't use a car with Lotus graphics either. So it was... <laughs> <laughs> but or, then, as follow-ups to that story have kind of taken that and expanded it and looked across Pastor's season as to what he costs a team. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be taken into consideration. Manor is so delicate on their money. Yeah. They would be better served to bring in a driver that could pay $30 million and not crash as often. Now. And not cost them as much. I, I get that 
the former Lotus team members, current Renault. I don't know the best way to describe them since they haven't really announced anything other than, you know, coming. Um, they have come out as much as they don't want to completely slag their driver is the guy who makes them work extra hours and, and fix things that shouldn't need to get fixed. They have come out and said that when it comes to developing a car, and I'm assuming other than crash structures, <laughs> but when it comes to developing a car, Pastor's actually extremely good. He gives them very good feedback <laughs> <laughs> I know. Of course he does. He's intimately aware of all of the moving parts as they pass through his helmet. <laughs> well, you know, he, he's got to work really hard to get to understand the feel of the car before he crashes it. But they, they have said that, you know, in terms of feedback and giving them the information that they need to tune and tweak stuff, he's extremely good. Now, you compare that to Kimmy, whose feeling is... The car doesn't work right. Go fix it as he's walking out. They have said he provides actual feedback and the information that they need to work on tuning and and direction to upgrade the car outside of crash structures. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that's a phenomenal thing that Pastor Maldonado brings to the table. It's important. I think it's an impressive skill considering he drives the fewest laps of anybody on the Formula One grid. Well, you know, I read that, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe it makes better sense then for somebody to hire him as a test and development driver as opposed to your actual race driver then. I know. Drop him in a simulator where he can cause all the damage that he wants, and there's a really low chance of him destroying the simulator. I mean, you never know <laughs> with Pastor. Zero. But <laughs> <laughs> it's It's still crashing. You never know with, with Pastor. However— Maybe that's the best place for him is as the test and development driver and not as an actual driver. Hi. You have been relegated to the simulator. You can drive your Xbox and nothing real so that you can stop crashing into stuff. So. All right. So And now. it sounds like Kevin Magnuson is the leading contender for the, for the spot, which I think is awesome. I do. I liked him. I really did. It's kind of sad when people that are good, have great potential in driving, aren't given the good shot for whatever reason. I mean, I think he was pulled to McLaren that year for a little too early. Um, I think it was a rash decision. I'm I'm not even so much sure of that. I mean, I I think he he did decent in the seat, but he was hampered just like Jensen was in the fact that they went the wrong direction with that car. Oh, yeah. And could not figure out the right way to go. I mean, they're in a death spiral right now with, with, with piss-poor development choices. But I think that was more his issue than anything else. We could have seen a whole lot more. Well, and I, I mean, think that that's it, the he, sad part. He got on the podium on his, the very first race of the season. That was such a great year for newcomers to the track. Mm-hmm. So many new guys hitting the podiums early in this season. That was awesome. So, speaking of McLaren. Yes. Last week was uh, Pirelli's wet testing session over at the circuit Paul Ricard in France. Former home of um, the French Grand Prix. Okay. Um, 
the four teams that took part, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, and McLaren. So this was the chance for the swan song of the twenty four or, or the twenty fifteen McLaren Honda because these cars were unmodified twenty fifteen cars. So how they ran them at the end of the season last year, that was what was going out for the testing. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Unmodified twenty fifteen cars. Yes. So Pirelli wanted McLaren at this test because they needed to know what would happen at the back of the grid? No, Pirelli wanted them at this test because those uh, of the four teams that were there, if something if they were left one of them was left out, those were probably the four that were going to yell and scream the loudest. I mean, <laughs> think about it. Ron Dennis was not going to keep his mouth shut if he was excluded from this test. True. Not only that, but of the four teams that were there, those were probably the four teams that could afford to run cars there. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> okay. You know, so of course, Based on all that we know from the 2015 season, obviously McLaren was beat all expectations and blew the rest of the grid away. Actually, as the final 2015 car or the final spec of the 2015 car for the McLaren Honda, it performed exactly as expected and broke down. <laughs> Now, to be fair, you know, j- just to be fair, it broke down after 89 laps. And the reality is... That's more laps than it ever did anywhere else. Well, I was going to say, that is actually more than a race distance. Right. So, yeah, you, you know, it did get pushed further than it normally would get pushed. However, <laughs> it, <laughs> it broke down. <laughs> it went further than it's ever gone before. So, this was a wet tire test. In order to have a wet tire test, you need a wet track. Okay, so hoses and fire trucks are involved? Actually, no. And this is why I was pointing this out. The circuit Paul Ricard actually has a sprinkler system installed for this reason. Oh, that's way cool. They turned on sprinkler. Now, apparently it took the better part of of the first day for them to get it sorted out so that things were as wet as they wanted it to be. But they actually had a sprinkler system turned on for this. So explain me this. Explain me this. Okay. Bernie. This is the track he wants to run them on. Of the bad hair Bernies. Mm -hmm. Um, Bernie has been talking for the longest time about wanting to artificially have a wet race. This is the track that allows him to do that. So why is he not talking about having a French Grand Prix again? Because the French, the owners of Circuit Paul Ricard refused to pay the Bernie Eccleston extortion fees. Oh. I mean, that that's what it is. There's no shortage of people who want the track. And not only that, but really nobody wants an artificially wet race. No, they don't. I mean, truly. What Pirelli did, though, uh, this was apparently a combination. The the whole intention of this was they wanted to go and improve the crossover between the wet, the full wet tires and the intermediate tires. Okay. Okay. Basically, because there's a swift degradation of the intermediates when um, 
the on-track conditions improve, they want to at least maintain the current level of aquaplaning resistance. Okay. Um, so what they did, and again, just the full wet tires, the teams were basically given, uh, I think it was six sets of matching tires. Okay. You know, each set was, was a matching set, but each one of those sets was different from the other. It was a different compound, a different tread pattern, um, and they didn't know which was which. Six different types of wet tire. Right, of the full wet tire, mm-hmm. and sent out, go do this. Um, they believe that they've got uh, a good compound for extreme wet, and they've got some. They, they're seeing some promising results from the modification of the tread patterns. Um, they said they are ready to act quickly to make changes, but they're still compiling the data to figure out what is the best option out of this. Okay. So, yeah. Actual tire test. Staying with tires. More tires. Well. I'm tired of tires. No. See, to to hopefully make things make better sense to you. (laughs) Pirelli is looking out for you. For me. For you. Pirelli acknowledges that with the introduction of the Snuggle Bear Ultra Soft (laughs) Plush Tire... That the tire rules in 2016 are a bit more complicated. No. Um, if you go check out on our Facebook page, and we actually posted it about two weeks ago, uh, the folks over at Sky Sports attempted to explain how the tire strategies could, would, should, might work for 2016. They used Play-Doh because that was the best way to illustrate the complexity of this thing and even with their play-doh models which it was ingenious it really was even with their play-doh models it's really complex oh so pirelli is trying to devise a system um in partnership with formula one and fom to explain what potential tire strategies may look like how they may work how this is going to happen i have an idea we must talk to pirelli right now they need to hire Steve Matchett. He is the king of explaining tires. Except you're not going to be able to break into <laughs> mid-race to Charlotte or wherever the heck the NBC SN team is for the Pirelli Mothers Tire <laughs> Facts of the Race segment midway through. And if they did that, I would be really pissed because, you know, they're going to do the NBC Sports thing where that's going to dominate the screen in this little postage stamp of a window where you really can't see what's going on other than a bunch of cars running around. That's what they're going to relegate the on-track action to, and that's just going to piss everybody off. Well, no. See, the genius of my idea here. Okay. The genius of my idea is that Pirelli hire Matchett full-time to explain the tires. The whole race long? The whole <laughs> That's all that happens. Steve Matchett talking about the construction of tires. That's the voiceover throughout the whole race. Exactly. Oh, yeah. that won't... <laughs> Steve's a really smart guy. He's got a great television presence. But, no, that won't bore anybody to tears. <laughs> 
I think that this combination of the louder sound that they keep promising us of the engines and Steve Matchett talking for two solid hours about tire compounds would be the best nap after golf <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. Or you could just watch it live at 2 in the morning from wherever they are, and it'll help you sleep. But Well, there's that possibility, in too. In the U.S., for our U.K. Fan, friends and, and fan. fans, or fan. Um, <laughs> Hi! <laughs> you know, that, that, that they'd be falling asleep during their tea time. Well, probably. Nobody wants to have, you know, a snore through the tea. Yeah. All right. So apparently my match it, get a new job plan is... Uh, not, Dead. Not good. Um, so possibly you have a spare 200,000 pounds kicking around, plus I'll shipping have, and handling? I'll have to check the pants I wore yesterday to see what I still have in pocket change. Because while Manor Racing is the new face of the old Marusha team, Marusha dead, long live Marusha. I, I don't know. And they are, Marusha is the new face of the old Virgin team. The Marusha Formula One cars are up for sale. Well, you know, we're going to have a kid that's going to be learning how to drive soon. Do you think that that could be the car he takes to and from high school? That would definitely be interesting. I mean, how would we make it street legal? have to talk to Pirelli well, about bigger tires. <laughs> yeah. Maybe airbags. Some turn signals. A windshield. Headlights. <laughs> well, it wouldn't necessarily need... Well, you'd need at least a bug's shield, but whatever. Um, yeah, 200,000 pounds. You could have your own back marker car. Think of the lawn ornament possibilities here. Well, you know, I, Top Gear did some research this week. In, when when this story broke, for about that cost, it turns out this is not the only Formula or, or the former Formula One car that's available for sale. Really, there are several Arrows cars available. Um, there's an old Lotus, a couple of old Lotuses available. Um, there is even a 2011 Sauber available that comes with. Uh, a wide selection of spares. Spares? <laughs> well, and, and, and as a matter of fact, in, in reading this, a lot of these cars come with some spare bits. Oh. Whether it's components, whether it's a couple extra sets of tires and wheels. Um, not a pit crew. Um, the Lotus cars in particular were, feature, were all declaring that they had recently undergone a full restoration and rebuild by Lotus engineering staff and their Lotus heritage folks. Where does one keep their former F1 car that they have purchased? In the garage, duh. And then where You're not going to leave it out on the driveway. Well, and then where does one get to use it? Considering it has to be like started by magical elven engineers, and you know you need the transporter, and which you could have bought the manor transporters last year. Mm. 
See, that's the thing. Somebody had to know and buy the transporters last year so then they could get the matching car this year. Yeah. Speaking of manner, you know, last week we kind of mocked everybody over the, oh, we're getting serious. They hired this refugee from Ferrari who, you know, (laughs) was fired after they had a really bad season. Well, they hired another refugee from Ferrari. But this one, this one I think could make a bit more of a difference. Who is this person? They hired as a consultant former Ferrari engineering director Pat Fry. Ooh. Yeah, he's a really big name. Um, Yeah, he spent four and a half years with Ferrari, but uh, then he was over at McLaren. He's held the the role of technical director for the chassis and engineering director. So he's got some pretty serious skills. I wonder if he's going to have to spend time proving that he's got street cred. I doubt it. The The only thing here is, yeah, they, they bring on Pat Fry, and here we are about, what, a month away from winter testing? Yeah. After they've already gotten their chassis crash tested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can probably help with some tweaks and upgrades if they can afford it, but I don't think he's really going to have a big impact on the 2016 car design probably not but i mean maybe i don't know i'm a little concerned about the fact that they are hiring him as a consultant does that mean that he will not have a full-time role could they just not afford him what was uh, what was the rationale there versus actually having him brought on full-time as a permanent part of the team that's a good i I mean it it may be that you know, hey, these are our drawings. Could you go take a look? And now, yeah, now we've hired you as a consultant. I, I mean, mean, that could be what it is. That, that's that's my questions. Are what is the level of interaction and role, given the fact that he's just a, well, and I hate to say it that way, just a consultant. But is he just a consultant, or is this a matter of we couldn't afford to hire you full time? But often consultants are more expensive than an, a full time employee. But I don't know. I don't know how the Formula One world works. Maybe he doesn't have to travel to the races or something. Or I know what, what his role is. It's because they, they don't completely trust Tom Bosi. Mm. So as a consultant, he has been hired to validate anything that Tom Bosi is saying. You know, because Tom Bosi's still on his his probationary period. <laughs> you know, they, they got to make sure he's going to work. So, so that's, that's what it is. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> also an option. Tom says that Ferrari does it this way. Can you tell us if that's true? Because Ferrari's not going to tell him anymore. Right. So, exactly. you know, that, that's, that's the deal. Speaking of designs, you know, 2017, we heard that it was going to be this groundbreaking year, and maybe we were going to have ground effects, and maybe we have wider tires and faster cars and refueling. And, well... The drivers have called out, and they have put down their own gauntlet of what they want in 2017. Um, Alex Wirtz, who is the chairman of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, yep. so he, he's not an unknown guy, um, he has apparently announced on behalf of the Grand Prix Drivers Association and the drivers that they want closed cockpits for 2017. You know something? I... I go hot and cold as to whether or not I like this idea, but the reality is I can completely understand it. In the aftermath of Jules Bianchi, I can completely see why there would be a push for closed cockpits. 
Um, I mean, we've seen so many dramatic crashes where people have walked away, but it's truly shocking that they walk away from some of those. I think a few of them have dragged a couple of guys down by their heads. Um, so I understand it. The idea of closing the cockpit, however, has it's a break with nostalgia. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of people going, it's not the real Formula One anymore because of a closed cockpit. And I think it reduces that driver interaction. You know, would I still be able to see the hand motions? What what would we, could they put a camera inside the cockpit? What are we going to get to see and enjoy? Well, first, um, the, the GPDA apparently backs... Uh, the leading design that the FIA has come up with, which isn't really a fully enclosed cockpit. It's more like a halo. Um, It's like a bar that comes up in front of the driver and then uh, a halo that comes around off of that bar around towards the top of the driver's head and connects back by the, by the air intake. Okay. So it's, it's not like a fighter jet style cockpit. The other thing to keep in mind though is, you know, look at WR, WEC. They were also many years ago, that type of 24-hour races, those prototype cars were open cars also. I mean, that was what Sir Sterling Moss raced in and, and several of the others, uh, great drivers who, who raced in that series. So the, the prototype series now with the enclosed cockpits, and I think most of those cars are enclosed cockpits now, mm-hmm. It's not exactly unheard of at that level of motorsport. Oh, I know that closed cockpits are not unheard of. It's just that Formula One has always been the bastion of keeping the open cockpit. And so there's that part of me that says, do you lose some connection? That kind of thing. Well, the the question I have is, does this halo design or any other design provide a significant increase in protection to the driver's head over the helmet already Mm. i mean these helmets are full ballistic impact i think you could probably shoot them with a couple of bullets and maybe a rocket launcher and they would be able to to absorb most of the impact so i don't know it's an interesting question but i can understand the driver's push i really can and you know given the fact that we have come in the last 50 years of formula one from it being a truly deadly sport to as few losses as we've had in the last 10 years. And the other thing is, and and I know it sounds a little callous, but some of what attracts the fans to motorsport in general and is what keeps attracts the drivers too to motorsport in general is the fact that there is risk involved. Right. Yes, there are efforts. There are significant efforts made to minimize that risk, but there is risk involved. And you can't eliminate that risk. And if you go too far to eliminate that risk, you run the, the, the possibility of completely neutering the sport and driving everyone away. Exactly. I mean, a good chunk of the excitement that the sport has is over the risk of, you know, driving 200 miles an hour through the streets of Monaco. Exactly. With no runoff. And and you're right. And I think that even the 
uh, top name that pushes for safety at, at pretty much all costs, Jackie mm. Sir Jackie Stewart, would tell you that his goal is to increase driver's ability to walk away mm-hmm. without neutering the sport. And he really pushes that fine line of saying, we still have to have a good sport, but we can't have drivers dying. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that we all should agree on that fundamental thought. So this Friday, this past Friday, the 29th, mm-hmm. was the latest meeting of the uh, technical representatives from the team to agree on the 2017 rules. So they got together, they all agreed, they spit shook, and we've got rules for 2017 now? Well, I'm not so sure. They definitely got together. Okay. And, and it got together with Charlie Whiting. Okay. you know, he, he needs to be part of this. <clears throat> I know there was some discussion. Okay. There may have been some spitting. <laughs> there doesn't appear to be any handshaking. So we still don't have 2017 rules. They have not finalized the rules yet. And now things are really getting down to the deadline here because... If these rules are to be in place for 2017, they must be ratified by March 1st of this year. Wow, they have 29 days left. Yeah, and the next meeting of the strategy group and F1 commission, which is actually, yeah, it's the strategy group and F1 commission who are going to actually ratify these rules. Their next meeting is on the 23rd. So these discussions need to get everything settled for presentation to them by February 23rd. Mm. So what's being discussed? Obviously, enclosing cockpits is uh, on the agenda there, uh, as well as increasing downforce. We've mentioned the wider tires. Um, We know for a fact that refueling is off the table. (laughs) For now. Um, other points that, that need to be discussed actually is for 2018, and that's the engine deal that we talked about last week. Right. Because, and, and this is to, to just make things even more difficult, while Jean Todd fully backs the new engine plan, Bernie does not. And Bernie has spoken out against it and says that if they do not come up with something better, quote-unquote, there will be trouble. Great. Yeah. Old man shouts at clouds. <laughs> um, and then I, I got to read this paragraph as written by Autosport because it is a terribly written paragraph. Excellent. The last sentence in particular. Okay. So aside from all of everything that we discussed, each car will also only be allowed to use three gearboxes per season while for 2017 potential weight saving gains may be required given the increase in width of tires and wheels potential weight savings gains that makes no sense potential weight savings gains My brain cannot function to think about how they really wanted to say that. Grammatical gymnastics at its finest. I know. (laughs) Okay, so moving on. Hopefully, more stuff to happen by the end of February. 
we are hoping to have a final decision on whether or not the U.S. Grand Prix will happen this year okay. by the end of February. Um, Bernie says that he has, he is certain that this is going to happen, that he is confident. Um, but there should be something, and this is coming from uh, um, Epstein, Bobby Epstein, who is the, the race organizer. Uh, it says that he shares Bernie's optimism on the, the race. Um, everybody wants it to happen, and usually when that's the case, things get done. But he can't confirm anything at this point. He says that for sure there will be something within the next 30 days. They'll have an answer definitely before the end of February. Okay. Now, there's no word on whether that means that the state's going to change its formula or if Bernie's going to cut a discount on the sanction fees or what, just that some kind of a decision is going to happen. Something will happen. Yeah. One way or the other, something will happen. That's all we know. Okay. Now, last week we talked about, you know, woohoo, Silverson turned a profit. Yeah. As a result of that, um, the president of the BRDC, the British Racing Racing Drivers Club, um, which owns the track. Right. Um, they had put the track up for sale last year and were, were taking offers to sell off the track. And they'd received a few but hadn't accepted any yet. Well, now that the uh, British Grand Prix has uh, turned a profit – uh, the president of the BRDC has come out and uh, Derek Warwick has come out and said that now there is no pressure to sell the track. Awesome. So, yeah, they're still, I guess, accepting offers. And if somebody offers them a few tractor trailer loads of cash, they may accept that offer. But they don't feel that they need to. He said 18 months ago, a completely different story. The wow. position, the financial position was so bad that any reasonable offer they would have accepted on the spot. Well, that's a credit to the new management. I mean, absolute Absolutely. credit to them. Congratulations, guys. Other good news is organizers are expected to sign the new Italian Grand Prix deal uh, this month as well. Oh, cool. Should so that should be a done thing. Now, we do not know at this point exactly how long the deal is. Um, even the Italians are saying that it's going to be either through 2020 or 2023. They don't know for sure yet. The preference is obviously 2023, but uh, they don't know for sure. But they say that the deal is about 80% done, okay, and they're looking to have it done by the end of the month. Awesome. So more progress there. Now, we do know that Baku, Azerbaijan is still happening. That, that, that is still going on. The word that we have gotten on the track so far is based on simulations and the understanding of the design of the streets, because this is a street circuit, Right, is that they're expecting this to be a relatively slow lap, but there will be a high top speed on very narrow streets. Oh, so you're trying to become like Monaco? Something like that. I mean, you know, you're, you're shoehorning it into an existing city. Um they're saying that the, the striking feature is going to be its slender width in places. Um, according to the International Sporting Code, I, I don't have the exact chapter and verse, but it is the International Sporting Code, uh, they advise that the minimum width for a new permanent circuit be 12 meters plus an extra 3 centimeters at the starting grid. However, Baku, is a, being a temporary circuit, will be considerably narrower than this in places. Um, with the circuit measuring just 7.6 meters wide at its narrowest point, which is on Aziz Aliyev Street. 
However, at other points, it will be over 70% wider, reaching a maximum of 30 meters. Wow, that could be considerably wide. Um, okay. Now, the FIA's reference width for Hockenheim in Singapore is 9 meters, though mo through uh, most of their length or the track length, the, the widths vary over the course of the lap. Um, the estimated average lap speed of 131 miles an hour indicates a lap time of around 1 minute 42.37 seconds, which would put the track towards the slower end of the current F1 calendar, but quicker than most street circuits, as well as quicker than Circuit of the Americas and the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Which you just love saying. Yes. Expected to have, well, it, not expected, it will have 20 corners, which is more than any besides the 23 at Singapore and 21 at Yas Marina. Okay. So we'll see how that works out. And now, you know, it, it, it's been a few weeks since we've been able to trot this segment out. That segment of where we express our absolute disbelief that somebody was actually paid for this story. So our f we, we actually have two stories. Two. Two, two people stories. got paid. The first one comes from, from Autosport. They reached out to, I get, you know, because they needed something to talk about. They reached out to Marcus Erickson, who apparently picked up his phone. Excellent. Because he's waiting for someone to call him. Anybody. <laughs> anybody, please. Just, you know, I'll, I'll talk to anyone. Marcus said this week that a Scandinavian Grand Prix would be huge for Formula One. Now, he acknowledges that it would be really expensive because of Bernie's extortion fees, that there's probably nobody out there who's willing to pay for it, but it would be really awesome. And it would make a lot of money, even though nobody's willing to pay for it, and it would cost a whole lot of money. You know what? If mm -hmm. we had some ham, we could have ham and eggs if we had some eggs. Well, you know, by, by that same comparison, you know what also would be huge for F1? would be a race that went through downtown Manhattan. But nobody's willing to pay for it. <laughs> nobody's willing to let it actually happen. But it would be so cool to have Formula One cars racing through Times Square. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> across the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, how cool would it be to have Formula One cars racing across the Golden Gate Bridge down Lombard Street? Better yet... <laughs> Up Lombard Street. Awesome. That, I mean, it, it would be really cool. Nobody's going to let it happen. It won't happen in a million years, but it would be cool. Thanks, Marcus. Yeah. Well, I hope that Marcus really enjoys his new seat at the new Lotus team, the Renault team. He's not at Renault. Isn't he the one that's being conserved No, that's Jolien... Julian Palma, and it may be Kevin Magnuson. Kevin. Marcus is over at Sauber still. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, never mind then. <laughs> it was a nice try, though. <laughs> totally wrong, but a really nice try. <laughs> Those M names, they confuse me. Yeah. Hey, and, and in our, our last story, because... um. Somebody else was looking for comments. This time, the folks over at Auto Action. Now, admittedly, <laughs> I, 
I don't know who the hell auto action is. <laughs> Not the pinnacle of automotive journalism here. <laughs> yeah, well, but they went calling, and it turns out that Daniel Ricardo answered the phone. Well, he does, because, you know, Honey Badger answers the phone. I guess he does. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, well, they asked him about, you know, what he thought of Nico Hulkenberg racing in Le Mans in 2015. And Daniel came out and admitted that he would have really liked to have done it as well. But the the team wouldn't let him because the calendar was just too full. Ah. Uh, poor kid. Yeah. By the way, this story was written by, quote unquote, staff writers. That means That's- they put more than one person <laughs> on the story. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. This was written, the the byline is written by staff writers. That's how desperate they were. They needed multiple writers to come up with this story. Multiple writers that didn't want to put their name on this Uh story. So I think on that, we're going to have to call this a show. Yeah. You know, take a look over on our Facebook page. You got to go and check out... uh, uh, tires explained with Play-Doh. Tires explained with Play-Doh by the folks over at, at Sky Sports. If you haven't seen the the publicity stunt that won't die, we've got that video over there too. Um, and of course, we we've got a link to the story that we may be losing Pastor, and we will post as soon as we hear whether or not Pastor is part of the Wednesday Driver lineup. Okay, I have one question for you, okay. and it'll be our final farewell. Mm-hmm. So if Pastor is not picked up by Renault, the talent black hole, what are we going to make fun of? Oh, there will be because there's always been a you know there's always room for a Pastor joke. No, it's We're, gonna it's gonna be who's gonna be at the back of the grid, and I'm sure that Pastor, the bewilder face <laughs> talent hole that he is. That's a, just a great word. <laughs> Bewilder face. Um, Three he, times and it can be yours. Yeah. I, I'm sure he will be trying to find a way to speak out to somewhere about how he's being unfairly treated or something. Well, I'm sure about that. And I'm also sure that you will hear from about it here first after a few other places. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, I think we call it a show. Okay.